If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be looking this morning at Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. This is the third part in this little mini-series here that we've been doing on prayer. This is this morning we're going to be dealing with why we should pray. Jesus instructs his disciples what they should pray, how they should pray, and why they should pray. And this morning we're going to be looking at why we should pray. The, the superior motive behind it all. Father, we ask your blessing on your word right now. We ask you to be merciful to us. Grant us your grace. Help us in every way. We are your people, your children, in such desperate need of your kindness and your mercy toward us. Help, Lord, give to us what we don't deserve. And give to it out of the abundance of your goodness and grace. You are good. You are kind. You are merciful in everything you do. It's on that basis, and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we ask this. Amen. Well, here's a fact that most of us encounter as we become adults. When we get older and become adults, we usually stop asking our parents for things, and then we begin to start trying to prove to our parents that we can actually provide for things. We make a shift. Adulthood is typically about a shift. And there's so much good about that. There's good about someone becoming, going from being dependent to being independent. That when you're young, you, you ask your parents for everything. They take care of everything. They do everything for you. And as you get older, you do more and more for yourself. But as we get older and we get into adulthood, something can happen and we become idolatrous in so many ways. Because we who were once dependent, become independent, and then what ends up happening is we take so much pride and so much arrogance in the fact that we're, we're independent that we want to like prove to our parents and get their applause that said, well done, son. Well done. You've done such a great job. Look at you, providing for your family, taking care of things. And we, in false humility and pride, say, ah, oh, shucks, no, no big deal. You know, nothing that a little hard work can't get you. We get to this point where this independence of ours really starts to flex its muscles, and what we want to do is we want to show everyone how great we really are. Like, look at this fine specimen. Look what I was about, able to accomplish. And so now, no longer do I ask you for anything. I want you to applaud me for everything. And, it, and we all, as we get, become adults, we've experienced this shift. We used to ask. We used to be dependent. We used to look to our parents. And now, not so much. And if we are older and we still have to for things, we're humiliated by it. We don't want to have to ask for help and a handout. We want to be able to provide. And there's some good virtue there, but easily the thing that's virtuous also becomes idolatrous at times. And it gets way out of control. Because this morning, in this particular passage, Jesus doesn't teach his disciples when he tells them why you should pray. He doesn't say, you know, you need to become really independent and start to learn to do things on your own. He, what he does here, he says, you know why you should pray is because you have a heavenly father who's good and he's kind and he will give you what you need. There's an aspect, there's a sense in which we need to become less dependent on our on our earthly father, and more dependent on our heavenly father. 
That's really the ultimate shift that should happen, is that we, become, we go away from our parents and we learn in life to completely depend on our Heavenly Father for everything we have and give Him thanks for everything that we have and realize that I don't have anything apart from what He's given me. All that I have is a gift from Him. He still gives me the strength. This is like Israel happened to Israel when they started to depart from the Lord. He says, you're going to see, you're going to attain wealth, and you're going to attain prosperity, and your heart's going to swell, and then you're going to say, look at all that I've attained. Look at what my hands have accomplished. Dang, I'm good. Yet in all of it, it was the Lord who gave The Lord gave strength. The Lord gave wisdom. The Lord gives prosperity. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's the Lord. So if we grow up, if anything we could learn is actually to become dependent upon our Heavenly Father for all things, give Him thanks for all things, because everything we have is from His hand. Let's listen how Jesus puts it. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if we ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's the thing. When it comes to asking, why should we pray? Jesus wants us to see that it's that the, the, the kindness and the goodness of an average father pales in comparison to your heavenly father. And knowing who your heavenly father is should be the greatest reason for why you should pray. It's on the basis of his character, the basis of who he is. He's good and he's kind. If you knew how good, if you knew how kind, you would pray. But let's look at this for a moment and think through this and how this works. Think for a moment of the kindness in regard to the average father, as Jesus puts here. If we look at the text, Jesus is moving from teaching his disciples from how to pray, as we looked at, with, remember last week we talked about how he was teaching them, you really have got to learn to become obnoxious. You've got to learn how to do this. You've got to know that you've got to press in and annoy God until he answers. And then on the heels of that, he's also te- now he's telling them why. He moves from how to why here. And he wants them to know something about the character and nature of the Heavenly Father and, why, and how and why that should affect the praying. And he starts with a comparison. A comparison of the average earthly father. And he asks how many fathers whose son asked them for a fish would give them a serpent instead. Well, not many, unless it's for a joke, maybe. That might be kind of funny. Give somebody a, a serpent, if, as long as it didn't sting them or whatever. I mean, if you ever pulled a snake joke before, snake jokes, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, can be kind of funny. You know, because people can't stand snakes normally. People freak out. I've got a great, I won't tell it, but I've got a great story about snakes where I got myself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I thought it was funny, but it wasn't. But all, in all seriousness, most parents give their children what they ask for, typically, as long as it doesn't hurt them. I mean, if your kids are asking for something that you know is going to hurt them, you know, your kids, hey, Dad, can I drive? 
and he's six? No. <laughs> Not going to happen, son. <laughs> Not ready for that. Well, you, we might even in those circumstances, I remember asking my dad when I was way too young to drive, and, I, and he said, okay, he's let me set back when seatbelts weren't a big deal. Not many people rode them. I, I, driving down the highway, and I'd sit on his lap and be able to steer down the, down the highway. It was, it's also Redneckville, and there's only another vehicle coming every 20 minutes in the other direction. But so most parents, most fathers, it's in their heart to say, like, you know, if a child asks for something, you give it to them. Why? Wow, but you want your children to have things. You don't want to withhold from them. I mean, withholding from them isn't what you want to do. You withhold from them because you know, no, it's not good. I mean, you've asked, you keep on asking for this junk food all the time. And you know, it's, you know I'll give you some every now and then, but you're not going to get it. And like, why? It's no good for you. So most fathers, it's just a general principle that you, and mothers can be included here as well, want to give their children what they ask for. I remember telling my parents, that I really wanted a bike. I really wanted a bike because I was the only kid on my block who didn't have one. And there's, it, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money at the time, but uh, I, remember, I remember for quite a while, it seemed to me, I don't know, maybe it was weeks, who, who knows, and when you're, I was probably about 10, 11, I guess it was. And I, I remember running. I had to run. All my kids, friends had bikes, so I'd just be running, sprinting behind them, trying to keep up. And so the, the blessing in it was that I, I got pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember want, so bad wanting a bike. I just, you know, asking, can I get a bike? I, I really would love to have a bike. All my friends have a bike. And, and uh, well, no, we just can't afford one right now. And so I remember one day I walked into the house, and, and they said, uh, my mom said, Dean, go clean your bedroom. What? Why, should I, why do I clean my bedroom? Do I have to clean my bedroom right now? You know, I started getting all whiny and stupid. I should have been smacked, probably. Uh, and she says, no, go clean your bedroom now. And it just seemed odd to me. Usually I get home, you know, I think it was probably after school. You grab a snack, do something. I don't go clean my bedroom at that time. So I said, fine, whatever. I walk in the bedroom, open the door, and Boom. There's this black and yellow BMX bike. <laughs> Kids dream. This is awesome. And I just like, wow, I was so happy and overjoyed. But you know what else? My parents were happy and overjoyed as well. It's like they were so ex- they were pumped and excited. I was pumped and excited. I got this brand new bike. You know, it's, and, and they, it's a delight and a joy for parents to give to their children and to see their expression. You know, something really changes as well. Have you ever experienced this at Christmas? You remember when you were a kid, it was all about getting those gifts, wasn't it? It was just like you just dreamed. I remember with the Christmas catalog when I was a kid. I just covet, <laughs> like for hours. <laughs> just loving this stuff, and I just like dreaming. I'd circle them and imagine what it would be like. And, and then the shift happens when I was an adult. Now, the greatest joy was to be looking around and figuring out what, what is going to put the biggest smile on your kid's face. And when, the, when you give it to them, and when, when they receive that gift and they get pumped and jacked, you, it's, the, it's the most exciting thing ever, is for, as a parent, to see the joy of your child. And, and Jesus gives this analogy because we can all relate to it. We all know what it's like to be a parent and get to that place where you know your children ask or they want and would delight in something, and you give it to them. And you give it to them with joy. And then Jesus does something. He switches and he turns here in this text. 
And he, he helps us to relate to what it's like as a parent to now, okay, I want you to understand something, he says. And this is kind of interesting. He says this, if we look here at the shift. If you then, who are evil, ooh, bam. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give? And in this case, he says the Holy Spirit to those who ask. But throughout the Gospels, you see that the, the Father is interested in giving. And Jesus is trying to constantly encourage his disciples in the greatness and the goodness of the Father and his, and his willingness to give and his promises in prayer. But you know what? There's a problem we have with this. It's easy to, it's easy to get up here and it's easy to, to or try to articulate the goodness and the kindness of the Father. The goodness and the kindness of the Father. As long as we talk about the goodness and the kindness of the Father and we compare it to the the goodness and kindness of parents and says, you know what? There's such a big discrepancy that if you were to look at the best parent on earth, you know what they are compared to God? Evil. that, That goodness of a parent compared to God is evil. That's how good God is. That's how great he is, because even in the best parent mixed in there are evil evil motives. The best parent has issues. The best parent has evil in regard to the standard of God, in comparison to God. And here's here's also the difficulty we have. We have have a problem with this because we we can sit here and we can say, yes, you know, God is good, God is kind. But when it comes to prayer, I have a problem because often I ask my parents, I ask them for things when I was a child, any child has a parents and the parents give them that thing. I could see that it was from my parents. Now, the breakdown we have is that when it comes to asking God or Heavenly Father, it's easy to say, yeah, I like it. He's a good God. He's a good God. We look at his goodness. We look at his kindness. Look at his greatness. And we can affirm that. But now it comes, ask, ask this father something and he'll give it to you. And you're like, this is where I have a problem, Dean. Because there seems to be a breakdown. There's so many times I've asked my father for things, I've asked him for a lot of things, and I've never seen him answer. But here's the thing. When God answers our prayers, when the heavenly father gives to his son, gives to his children, it doesn't appear the same way that it does with earthly parents. For example, you ask, if you asked your parents for a loaf of bread... What would they give you? If they answered you, what would they give you? A loaf of bread. Now, if you ask your, if you ask your heavenly father for a loaf of bread, what does he give you? Well, it doesn't go shazam. It doesn't drop from heaven and hit you on the head. Does it? It's a difference. Something's, what's wrong with this picture? It's like, oh, Lord, grant me my, my daily provision. And then we get up from our prayers and there's no bread appearing. And let's just say most of us don't know what it's like to not have daily bread. So it's, it's hard to relate to this. But let's just say you didn't have any and you needed some. We get up from praying and uh, the bread's not showing up. But we're, we thought we'd just go to the market and see what's, what's there and, and, and see what might be on sale and start planning because we were wondering how this is going to work. And we find out while we're there, 
we get there that there's a sale. They're giving away, uh, at the sale, they're giving away samples of free bread. That's convenient. That, that's, that, that worked out nice. Or let's just say this. We get up in the morning, we go to grab our pants from the drawer, we put them on, we stick our hand in the pocket, and there's a 20. That's happened before, hasn't it? You ever have a suit jacket or a pair of clothes and you, you go in the pocket and you find some bills? That's the best feeling ever, especially if you needed them. But in both those cases, would we say, oh God, thank you for answering me. It was so great how he provided and see, here's the problem we have. We live in a world and we, and we deal with a God who, who we have a hard time seeing the connection like, oh Lord, give me my daily bread and the, the free samples at Safeway. That seems a whole lot like coincidence, doesn't it? It's a little, okay, that could have happened. Pray or not, ask or not, that could have happened. Now, and so we're a little confused. Was that from my kind, gracious Heavenly Father? Was the 20 just coincidence? You know, those kinds of things. It's hard to understand. It's hard to know. So it's like we pray, and it's different dealing with God, our Heavenly Father, because it's not the same way as we, when we deal with one another. And it's because you're dealing with the sovereign of all things over all things. And he's in control of all the details. He's in control and maneuver. Everything is, is under his control. So he doesn't need to drop things from heaven. He works circumstances. And it reminds me of the modern-day parable that we've, I'm sure we're all familiar with. You've probably heard this before, about the man who's trapped on a roof of a house during a flood. And he prays to God. He cries out, please save me, O Lord. Shortly after this, the guy, a guy in a robot, robot, rowboat came by and shouted to the man on the roof, jump in, I can save you. To which the stranded fellow shouted back, no, no, it's okay. I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me. So the rowboat went on, went away. Then a motorboat came by. The fellow in the motorboat shouted, Jump in, I can save you. To which the stranded man said, No thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me. I have faith. It's going to work out. So the motorboat went on. And then a helicopter came, and the pilot shut it down, shouted down, Grab this rope and I'll lift you to safety. To this, the stranded man again replied, No thanks, I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the helicopter pilot reluctantly flew away. Soon the water rose on the rooftop and the man were dr- was covered and the man was drowned. He went to heaven and he finally got his chance to discuss the whole situation with God. At which point he exclaimed, I had faith in you. But you didn't save me. You let me down. I don't understand why. To this, God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more do you expect? (laughs) You know, in a lot of ways, this is kind of how we are with life. And it expresses so well what it's really like. We have a hard time understanding how God works in this world. Because we pray to him, our father, and then what we expect sometimes doesn't line up with what we receive. And we have a hard time, did he answer this? Was this weird? Was this coincidence? Because if we think about how God is going to answer us, 
We have to understand it's never going to happen like it happens with another human when I ask you for something. When I ask you, hey, do you have 10 bucks I could borrow? You know, I, an answer is you reach in your pocket and give me 10 bucks. If you don't do that, what does that mean? You, did, you said no, you refused. There's, there's no, you didn't answer. So we live our lives understanding these things. This is how it works in real life. But it doesn't work that way with God. And this is where all the confusion comes in. This is where sometimes we just don't understand how to, what, what to make of it. Because we don't understand how God is working in his world. This heavenly father is different than an earthly father. And here's why. The heavenly father can work through every single little circumstance in your life. Your earthly father can't. The earthly father has to work through concrete means and be very direct. The heavenly father can work through all things and be every, very indirect. And this is, the, this is the advantage of being God. He can answer prayers within the ordinary scheme of things because he is over all things. We don't have a God outside of this world sitting in heaven while all things are going on and he's just somehow observing saying, ooh, interesting stuff. God is intimately involved in his world orchestrating all that is going on. And yes, at the same time, the heavenly Father is seated in heaven and Jesus at his right hand. But by the Spirit, the Spirit is in all things, upholding all things, so that the Spirit is here now with us. So he can, God can be with us, here with us, upholding all things, in whom, in whom all things consist. But at the same time, the heavenly Father can be in heaven in his glory with Jesus at his right hand. It's the, it's the character and nature of God that allows him to do this. This morning, in the scripture reading, Psalm 139, 1 through 10 was read for us. 1 through 14, actually. Now, I want to read a portion of this again. And just think about, ask this question, how involved in everyday life in this world is our God? Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shale, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand holds me. What's he saying here? He's saying that every detail and aspect of life from beginning to end, he even goes on in this psalm to talk about how he was knit together in his mother's womb by God. And his days were known before any of them happened. 
every particular and detail of life, there's nowhere you will, you shall flee and get away from God's presence because all things are upheld by him. And to, to understand and to know God and to know his ways is, is to be mind blown. He says, these things are too, too great for me. My brain can't contain them. They're too, they're too wonderful. They're too high. You are, you are the God who is everywhere present, working all things. We also know from Scripture that he works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. This is a profound mystery of God's intimate interaction with everything that is taking place. We have to understand that when we pray for someone's healing even, we can't let our minds pigeonhole God and try to figure out how it is exactly he will even answer that. We need to pray, believe that our God is kind and that our God is merciful, and then know that the person will most likely, in most circumstances, go through all the ordinary ways in which God ordinarily heals people. This means that God will probably use their own immune system. He'll probably use Doctors, you'll probably use medication. (laughs) And why? That's how he normally works. These are the things he created to do these things. These are what we call the means by which and through which God works in the world. Your immune system is not separate from like God over here. Your immune system is working because God created it to work and is intimately involved in its workings. So immunity and healing is God healing. You've got to understand, we've got to stop the categories of like, oh, he was healed or he recovered. Oh, did God heal him over here? And what do we mean by that? We mean these miraculous Shazam type healing. Oh, Lord, heal this person. And they arise. Okay, he answered, there he healed over here. And over in this person, oh Lord, heal this person. They're in the hospital, they're lay there sick, and it's, they're, they're covering, but it's slow, and, and they're going through this normal process, and they've been in there months. Oh Lord, please heal them. Oh, I don't know, please heal them, oh Lord. And you're like, God, why, why are you answering me? What's going on? Hello, have you noticed they're recovering? They're recovering. They're getting better. They're, they're getting stronger. They're, they're, they're getting better. They're healing. And next thing you know, they couldn't drink. Now they can drink. And next thing you know, they're, they're sitting up. And next thing you know, they're, they're walking around. And, and, and the, and, but, Lord, we've been praying for their healing. And we should say, and he is love, lovingly and graciously answering, isn't he? Why do we take that for granted or have such a view of the world like that's some mechanism that works apart from God? Yeah, but that's just normal healing. That's just the way it normally works. That's normally how God works. That's God's thing. God's doing the work. But we, we have this wrong categorization, and until we understand the world and how it works, and that all things happen according to the counsel of God's will, and all things are upheld and sustained by him, that all things, in and through all things, the Spirit is working, and that this is the means from beginning of creation that God has ordained for it to happen, we should expect that being the ordinary way he'll work, and the extraordinary way, uh, means are just fringe benefits on occasion. And so, for example, 
When someone has the flu and we pray for them, should we expect them to be Shazam healed from that flu? Or should we expect them to go through the normal process of healing? Well, I think we should expect them to go through the normal process of healing because that's how God normally works. And if he grants the other, praise be to God. But we have to, we, we presume, or what do we think, if a person goes through the normal process of healing, that that's just what? That's natural. That's what happens. No, it's not. From 12,000 to 52,000 people a year die from the flu. Because 100,000 plus people, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, survive and are healed and go through the healing process, that God healed millions of people is what happened. God was gracious. God was kind like he so often is. God was merciful on the unrighteous and the righteous both. So we have to understand that just because our bodies were working, this isn't something that we can't think like a deist. Like here God puts a body together and, he, and, and it's working and it's had an immune system. And it's all functioning, right? And then here's God sits in heaven and says, I wonder how everything's going down there. Things are working out. Wow, another one got, another one recovered. Oh, they're one bit the dust. This is amazing. What's happening down there? That, but you know, in reality, that's how we think. That's how we believe and talk because God healed them. And what we mean, whenever we say God healed them, we mean he healed them in some miraculous, crazy way, which does happen. But that's, that's a rarity. Ordinarily, God is going to work the way God normally works. So we should, if we pray for someone's healing, expect your heavenly father to to hear you. Believe and expect him to work. But also believe and expect him to work through the ordinary means. And Lord, please, I'm I'm very good with a miraculous out of the ordinary. That would be delightful. Because the way you view the world and the way you understand your God operating in the world will affect how you believe he's answering your prayers. Is he a kind, gracious, heavenly father hearing your prayers? Well, you can only get your head around that when you understand how he works in the world. Otherwise, you're all confused. You're like the man on the roof, all confused by the rowboat, the motorboat, and the helicopter. You're like, I don't know, I've been praying God and... And I'm not seeing how you're answering here. Because that's just too ordinary. That's, oh, what do we call that? That's coincidence. And that's the world's categorization for just these mechanistic laws in the world. Coincidence. It's just stuff that happens. That's how the world works. And so we're, we're indoctrinated by that worldview And so we press it into our worldview as well, and now we have a really hard time knowing how the Father's going to answer our prayers. But when we understand who God is, how his world works, and how we interact with all that, now we go back to this passage, and Jesus says, you ought to understand something about your heavenly Father. He loves you and cares for you way more than your earthly father does. And if your earthly parent knows how to give you good gifts, and if him who knows how to do that is, is... 
is evil in comparison to God, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you if you ask? And he just finished saying earlier here, ask, seek, knock, because if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open to you. You have to understand something about your Father and about prayer and about this world. And when you do, you will pray more. And you will see his answers more. And so when the $20 shows up in your pocket, you say, praise be to you, Jesus. This is from you. When you go to the store and you see that the samples are free and you really needed that particular product, praise be to you, O Lord God, for you have provided. The ordin- He's providing. He's working. There's so many things that have to work together for these things to work out. They are not coincidences. And so when we understand who our God is and how he works in the world, we can truly then see that, oh, man, look at the gifts he gives continually all the time. Look at how he answers our prayers. I bet you if you, if you looked at the natural processes that we call in this world and how things work and how God works through them all and in them all, and then you look at how many things you've prayed for and how things have worked out, if you had a proper paradigm, you'd be able to praise God continually for his, his constant answers of, to prayer. He has been answering you. He is answering you. He is hearing you. But we have a hard time seeing it because we th- we're like we have Shazam theology. We have like drop from heaven theology. Or, or like we got this world and we have God and we think they operate separately. No, we should expect in and through the ordinary means for God to work. Because that's how he normally works. I think we sometimes get confused or get... Um, lost in our way because the magic that is happening before us becomes too ordinary. I even think like a simple cut. If I was to cut myself right here, this thing would open up and bleed. And I stop, stop the bleeding and say, watch God heal me. Watch, it's going to take about a week I'll come back in a week and I've got a line that's clear and it's almost completely gone. In two weeks, you can't see the line barely and finally it's... Where, I thought you got cut there. Yeah, I did. It's all, it's all healed up. That's the coolest magic you could ever imagine. And yet, we don't say, look at how God healed me. Watch him heal me. That is just ordinary. That's just that's whatever. I mean, everybody everybody experiences that. Yeah, that isn't God good. He heals almost everybody. Almost. There's some people he doesn't. But he is a healer. He is one who does good. And so I pray that this morning that we would understand and know our God. And know that he's gracious, know that he's kind, and know that he's merciful, and know that he answers prayer, and he delights to hear you. But understand this, when he answers you, don't expect catastrophic, cataclysmic shazams. Expect the ordinary means and watch for him. See him through the common 
See him through the ordinary. See him in the ordinary details of life and praise him always. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. Oh, praise you, Lord God. Look what you're doing right here. This is amazing. Look at the recovery. Look at this. Look, look at the provision. Look at his kind. Oh, those aren't, those aren't just circumstances. That's my heavenly father at work in his world. That's how he works. May God grant us the grace to see this, know this, and live this in daily life. Amen. Father, we praise you because you are good and you're kind and you're merciful and you indeed truly do work through these little details of life that we call ordinary, that we call coincidences, or that we call just happen circumstance. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for despising your magic, your miracles, and calling them ordinary. Forgive us for not seeing your handiwork all around us, your miracles constantly. Have mercy on us, O Lord. We ask that you would grant to us the grace of seeing you in the ordinary, day-to-day provision, care, and answer to our prayer. We praise you for being our God, and we praise you for being so faithfully kind and merciful to us. Grant us grace, we pray in Christ. Amen.